Welcome to the Good Reading Podcast, proudly sponsored by Book People Gift Cards. A Book People Gift Card is the perfect gift for readers of all ages. Simply order your gift card online at bookpeoplegiftcards.org.au. Redeem in any one of over 500 bookshops across Australia. Visit bookpeoplegiftcards.org.au. If I light the pyre first, it will be impossible to step into it, but striking a match with my hands chained is no easier, and I'm not risking grandmother finding me in the morning chained to a post in a room I shouldn't be in with contraband tucked in my pocket. Fire first. That's the safest way. Then chains and pray I don't lose my nerve before I get the manacles tight enough that I can't escape. Before I can talk myself out of it, I strike the first match. It catches, gutters, and dies. The second, I wear away the red from the match head until all that's left is a papery stick. Frustration lights the third. When I drop it into the straw, Hungry flames lick along dry twigs and sticks. If everything goes right, I can imagine myself here when I pass back through the veil. Fear screws into a tight ball beneath my ribs. I'm shaking so hard I can barely pick my way around the rising fire to step onto the platform. I manage to snap the first manacle around my wrist just as the last of my courage disintegrates. Steel clicks tight and there's no going back. Panic drowns my heart. What if I fail? What if I forget the words? What if I'm not strong enough to pass the veil between life and death alone? The iron platform heats beneath my toes. Smoke thickens the air. I cough and whisper the words that will let me pass. They stick in my throat like the lump you get before you cry. Fire bites at my ankles, eating me alive. Heat blisters my lungs with each breath. But magic runs into my blood like iced water as I reach for death and the misted veil parts beneath the pressure of my words, precisely as the book said. The hem of my dress catches fire, And I whisper as my skin hisses, and I burn. I burn. Catherine J. Adams is an English fantasy writer based in New Zealand. Today, I'm talking to Catherine J. Adams about her first novel for young adults, Tonight I Burn. Catherine, welcome to the Good Reading Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Tonight I Burn is your first novel and our readers' first glimpse into the incredible magical world you've created. It's a rules-based order with an established hierarchy. But where do you start when building your very own magical world? So it started with the first first three lines. Um, They popped into my head and blew another story I was writing completely out of the water. And um, it just fell out onto the page from there. And the world kind of grows up around the characters in the story. And it grows quite organically in my head as I'm writing. Um, And then the rules, the rules are are kind of fun to work with because as you put them in place and you get to the next stage in the story, 
you have to keep within those rules. Um, so that can be quite difficult to navigate as as you're um, writing the book. The biggest layers of hierarchy are probably the gilded, um, which is the the army that controls everything. And then there's the warden sat right at the top um, controlling the gilded. Then it kind of funnels down. So you've got the, the covens below that who've managed to stay free um, or free in the the sense of the meaning of the word in Hellstat, which everyone's rigidly controlled. So there's the Thorn Coven, which is my the main coven the book centres on, um, and they are tasked with guarding the veil between life and death. So they have to cross into death each night. Uh, only one can go at once, and they go through, and they have to guard the veil, um, which means they have to patrol it, they have to walk along it, and make sure nothing is coming up in death to that might uh, attack it or pull bits off it. Then there's the tides who are responsible for the, as the name suggests, the tides and the seas and the water. Then there's the the embers. Those are the embers of fire. They work with fire and they're quite involved with the gildings, which is the the way the warden controls anyone with magic outside of the covens. Um, then there's the oars who actually one of my favorite characters in it Beatrice is an or witch um and she, she she's um involved with the gildings too they manipulate metal and rock um and then there's the storms who are responsible for the weather system so they're quite tied into like the harvests um and when they were taken down outside of Halstead so Halstead outside of Halstead there's deserts so once the the, the storm magic was wiped out. That's when everything fell apart outside of Halstead. Crossing the Veil is a ritual that members of the Thorn Witch Coven must undertake each night. What is the Veil? Where does Crossing the Veil take these particular witches? So the Veil is the divide between life and death, and it's kind of like a curtain, um, but I think Penny describes it as more like a waterfall of mist, and it stops the dead from coming back through into life. And when they cross the veil, so they cross the veil by burning and they go through into these deserts. Um, so they're big grey deserts with no colour and a real kind of vague sort of light. And everybody, when they die, they go through into the deserts and they're guided by their lifelines, which take them through the deserts and into the horizon, which is like the final layer of death so the thorn coven only go into the deserts which is kind of the beginning stage of of death um and then they patrol the veil and make sure the fog wraiths which are the the souls that have refused to go refused to die um that's uh they so they're protecting the veil from the fog wraiths coming back through to attack life let's talk about penny penny albright she's the central character she's a death walker and a witch that will risk her soul in order to save her sister Ella's life. Penny has a plan, but what must she do? What rules must she break and what is she risking? So the rules of death, there's two of them. One is they have to walk alone. And the second rule is that they don't look back. Um, so only one witch is allowed to cross the veil each night. Otherwise it risks their um, lifelines, which are threads. They kind of come out of their chests and they lead them through life and then eventually these lifelines which are invisible to everyone they go through the veil into death and then into the horizon and if more than one witch 
crosses the veil each night, they risk their lifelines tangling and then they can't go back through. When Penny's sister goes missing, she breaks that first rule of death and she crosses at the same time as her sister, which is risking both of them not being able to go back through into life. Um, but she can't leave her sister there. She doesn't look back. She's really good at not looking back. If you look back, then you you risk turning into a fog wraith like the uh, like they're protecting the veil from. Let's talk about some of the other characters. You mentioned Ella. She's the one who Penny is um, trying to rescue, I guess, from the other side of the veil. But we've got Myla. Tell me a little bit about Myla. Uh, Myla's her oldest sister. So she's the, uh, so Penny and her sisters are the granddaughters of the Thorn Coven's queen. So Myla is in line to inherit the throne and the crown and the power that the, the her grandmother holds. Um, so she's been groomed by her grandmother to follow the rules and to toe the party line, so to speak. She loves her sisters, but she's, she's losing a part of herself. So every time the Thorn Coven, one of the witches, cross the veil, they lose a part of themselves, like the imaginative part of their personalities and their souls. So Myla's been walking for longer than the other two sisters. So she's kind of lost that ability to enjoy um, creative aspects of life and she can't enjoy stories and things anymore. And she also feels really responsible for her sisters because she tried to stop them getting taken into Halstead um, from their village. And she was unable to do that. And she feels like she failed them. So she's she's constantly trying to protect her sisters and do the hard stuff so they don't have to. The High Warden, he's at the top of the tree. What is he asking of all these people under his command? He comes across as a bit of a moustache twirling kind of villain in the first book. He's not, but I'm not going to say any more about that. To gain immortality. He agreed to be the guardian of the veil. So his life force fuels the veil. And if he dies, then the veil will solidify and it will fail and nobody will be able to die and cross into death. Um, so he's actually quite sick. He's got a big wound on the back of his leg that he's trying to heal. And as he fails, so is the veil. So the Thorn Coven's tasks um, are getting harder each night to to keep the veil safe and the grandmother witch so the thorn coven's queen is actually healing him and trying to heal his wound but they can't heal it so yeah he's an angry man with with a lot of control and everyone's lives in the palm of his hand and he's slowly dying and nobody can stop it so yeah penny gets all caught up in that later on now, this book is full of rituals and the gilding is just one of them. When the warden brought everybody magical inside of Halstead, he tested them all. And the ones with the most power were allowed to remain free um, in the covens and they live under the warden's control. Then the ones with less magic, he took to one side and he severed their connection to their own free will and they have this golden mask fused to one side of their face and they pretty much are like puppets to the warden's con um the warden's command they hear so they're they're pretty soulless and emotionless and they are horrible well coming from the author if they're horrible they must be horrible yeah yeah they're pretty horrible what about the dark mother 
Uh, the Dark Mother's the creator of all life. So she's one of the, there's two deities in the book, um, in their world. There's the Sorcerer and the Dark Mother. Um, and she created life and she created the world and all the light in the world. She kind of breathed life into the people that live in the world. And then there's the sorcerer, which is going to be your next question, isn't it? Uh, well, the sorcerer is one of them. <laughs> the spinner. Oh, the spinner. Oh, I love the spinner. She's so she has the ability to see these lifelines that I've mentioned before. Um, she can see them and she can see where they're going. So she's got this loom and she weaves the images of the future on the loom using the lifelines that um, she can see weaving through life. And there's a few other characters that come up, and here we're getting close to the edge of what we can talk about without giving things away. Lord Mallon, what what does he ask of Penny? What's the deal? So he wants her to spy on the warden and his court. He wants information fed through from life, and he lives in death, and he can't actually cross the veil back through to life. So he's using Penny as almost a window into the into the other world. Thirty nights she has to spy on the warden and return back for information which means she's having to burn 30 nights straight when they're only supposed to do it well once every 14 days they're supposed to burn and she's doing it every night she gets very tired poor love it's not just a world of magic love and attraction are powerful motivating forces how do love and attraction function in such a structured world see i think the love and the attraction in the story isn't actually um related to the rules so much i think it kind of exists underneath them penny's coven's not supposed to fall in love because if they fall in love um, and have relationships then they can um start be te being tempted to manipulate death around like the death of a lover or something um but i don't think you can really regulate that um even in a world as restricted as penny's i don't think you can reg regulate who you're attracted to or not falling in love. Um, and it's one of the things I really like about Halstead and the whole world, um, where it's so regimented and it's so horrible and so controlled, but the love, there's no there's no limits on it there. There's no, it, it's a queer normative world. So the, the relationships which are queer aren't looked upon as queer if that makes sense that's just completely normal and that was really important to me as I actually built the world um that this was this was their normal and I think that's illustrated in the relationships or the attractions that Penny experiences on one hand to Lord Mallon but on the other hand to Alice Alice and Mallon are completely separate um in Penny's head there's Malin's over in death and he's this dark, mysterious guy that is controlling her and asking a lot of her at the beginning of the book. He's kind of one side of Penny. And then there's Alice, who is kind of the other side of Penny, the, the live part of Penny and the lighter part of Penny. I mean, I love Alice. She's all kind of ethereal and whimsical. And she's also quite dark, though, when you kind of look at it. It's kind of a hard one to answer without spoilers, though, this one. You see, you're kind of, you're making me dance at the edges. <laughs> well, that's what we're here to do, dance at the edges. Yeah. <laughs> now, you've mentioned um, other books in this series. This is the first in the Thorn Witch series. Where can we expect to go in subsequent books? So the second book's Tonight I Bleed, and the third book is Tonight I Blaze. Um, 
and we're still following Penny. I'm just in the process of um, finishing off tonight, I bleed. We've still got Penny. We're still following Penny and Penny's still got just as many difficult choices. The library's still incredibly important to Penny in her life. And the book sprites, we haven't mentioned the book sprites yet, um, but they they come into their own a little bit more. Actually, I have a question about libraries. Holstedt houses the Great Library. What's special about that library and why are witches always hanging around in the library? Well, why wouldn't they be? Libraries are like the best places in the world. <laughs> They're home to books. It is quite a special library. It's magical and it does, it houses all the spells. Um, and it's one of the areas where the, the warden's been poking his finger in just a little bit too much. Um, he's been clearing clearing the shelves of anything he he doesn't like and the things that don't fit his his version of world history. And it also houses the book sprites. Um, I love the book sprites. They're so much fun. Um, they're naughty. They change pages that people are reading and move people's bookmarks. But they're also kind of there for slightly more nefarious means. Um, and they inhabit the ninth floor. I think I can probably say that without without ruining anything. It's a bit alarming that those sprites uh, move your bookmark because I don't know where I would be if somebody came along. I know, terrible, <laughs> terrible things. <laughs> Still preferable to uh, dog-earing a page, I suppose. Oh, yeah, no, the book sprites wouldn't like that at all. Catherine, it's been a great pleasure to talk to you and thank you for joining me on the Good Reading Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I've been talking to Catherine J. Adams about her first novel, Tonight I Burn. It's published by Moa Press, and you can find it at goodreadingmagazine.com.au. My name's Greg Dobbs, and thanks for listening. This Good Reading podcast was brought to you by Book People Gift Cards. Share the joy of reading with a Book People gift card. To find out more, visit bookpeoplegiftcards.org.au.